Join us this morning in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. This 15th chapter has been broken into three parts by the Holy Spirit. It's really outlined for us. The book of Numbers, chapter 15. The first part, we have here some sacrifices. Now it's interesting that these sacrifices are presented after two chapters of rebellion. The children of Israel have been in direct rebellion against God, direct rebellion against God's word, and against God's prophets. And they are now suffering the consequences of that. And so the next chapter, chapter 15, the first part of this, has to do with some sacrifices. And it's interesting that as we read this, we find the sacrifices in this chapter pointed to the atonement by Christ's blood for us. We're in serious issue between us and God. There is a great gulf. And that gulf is not repaired by our works, but that gulf is taken care of from God's side to us. This is one area that it is top down. It must be that way. We'll never have it from us up. It's going to be from him down. And that's how he deals with us. And that's how we receive grace and mercy. That's how we receive the new birth. And that's how we understand some things about the atonement by his blood. In the next section of this, we spoke on last week, and that is about a man who was uh, found guilty of picking up sticks on the Sabbath. He just could not rest. He could not stay in his tent as he was commanded once again. He was in rebellion against God, against God's word. Now, the message there is not God is going to whip you if you skip the Sabbath. The message is there that you must rest in Christ in, in order to enjoy the blessings of Christ. This is a necessity. The new birth brings this to his people, that we rest. We quit from our works just as God had quit from his works after he created the heavens and the earth. That all is an example, a type, a shadow, a picture of what we have in Christ. There is rest in Christ and Christ alone. Now the last part of this shares with us something about some dress. As Israel was a peculiar people, a particular people, so their dress was also particular and peculiar. These fringes that we're going to read about were not intended for ornament, but they were intended for the children of Israel to remember some things. Let's read verses 37 through 41 of the 15th chapter of the book of Numbers, and it starts off, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, One more time in this book of Numbers, like so often we found in the book of Leviticus as we study there, that the Lord spoke. And, you know, if there's ever a time that it should catch our attention, it is those words, the Lord spoke. Now, what did he have to say? Well, he goes on to tell us what he had to say here. And it says, he spoke to Moses. And then it says, speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue and it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember now we're brought to this attention when we do the communion service the lord's supper 
Over there in the book of 1 Corinthians, we read that as the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Now, there is no efficaciousness in the communion service, but it is a remembrance. We are to be reminded of what the Lord has done on our behalf. And so it is here with these fringes that were down on the bottoms of their skirt. Now, this skirt or this robe that they attached these things to was to be a reminder of the robe of righteousness that God gives us. Do you remember what God did for Adam and Eve after they fell in the Garden of Eden? They had fig leaves on and they expected those things to be all right with God. And yet he was very displeased with those. And he did not mix the fig leaves with the, with the skins of animals. But he must first of all take away their fig leaves and then clothe them. And so it is in salvation. He does not mend our works. He takes them away and clothes us with a robe of righteousness. And we're going to spend some time on that this morning about what righteousness is and who is our righteousness. But let's finish this reading first. And remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye are used to go a-whoring. It's, we've seen the problem among Israel. If we look in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it tells us about Moses that by faith Moses observed the Passover. You know, that's telling us that Moses understood some things about the Passover that the common people did not understand. He had faith. God given him that faith to believe, and he saw some pictures in the Passover that represented his Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now, most of the others had no concept of what it was except just a lamb being slain, blood being spread, and now they're set free from physical bondage. Moses had been set free from spiritual bondage. Moses had been set free from all that Adam had brought upon him by the blood of Jesus Christ. As a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, this is the blood that covered the sins of Moses. Now we find out that actually the Lord went to the cross and actually the Lord paid the price of his sins. But for Moses, it was taken care of just as it had been taken care of before the foundation of the world. He had the same benefits that we have. And then it goes on here, that ye may remember to do all the commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying, I'm in charge. It's my way or no way. I am the sovereign king. I am sovereign over the nation of Israel. I am sovereign over this world. I'm sovereign over the universe. I have all the armies of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth in my hand, and none can say or stay my hand, or say, what doest thou? This is the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord that is in charge. So when he says these things about their garments, and to have these remembrances put on the bottom of their garments, these tassels, or whatever it was, it was to cause them, if they knew anything of grace, it was to cause them to remember who their righteousness is. Now, many of them just put them there. And some of them understood why they were there. Now, we don't do that in our, in our uh, 
clothing today, but we're called on to remember what the Lord has done for us. We're called on to remember that all the time. Paul wrote many times, that cause to remembrance. We are forgetfulers, and we're called on to be remembers. And so that memory is brought up to us from time to time. The righteousness of this robe has to speak to us about someone who is righteous. Now, Christ's righteousness refers to his perfect state of being. Christ's righteousness speaks of his perfect state of being. Now, that means that the Lord Jesus never contemplated ever doing one sin. It is impossible for God to sin. He never sinned. He never thought of sin. He never had that uh, part of him. Now, he is able to have great love for his people and compassion for his people, but he never had that sin in him like we do. The scriptures, with one accord, declare that the fall of Adam has really destroyed our righteousness. We have none of our own. We don't have any perfect state of being. Even in our conception, we don't have any perfect state of being. Paul or David mentioned, I was conceived in sin. It's my nature from my very conception to have this problem. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. There is a statement here about the life and conduct of a righteous person. Now, in religion, I was taught, and I also taught, that if you go down through here, make a checklist, and try to get yourself into all of these boxes and then you'll be righteous. Well, you know, once the Lord saved me, I found out that's an impossibility. And this is speaking about someone else much higher than me. In the book of the Psalms, Psalm number one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a desire of the church. It's a desire of Christians to be able to do this. But you know what? We're not able to do it in ourselves. We're only able to do it in Christ. Christ is the only one that did not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I've mentioned this several times about the Lord. He's the only one that was ever walked upon the face of the earth. And even when he went into Jericho or Jerusalem or Bethpage or Bethany, he was walking into a cemetery. Everyone he could see had this curse upon them from Adam, and they were dead in trespasses and sin. He saw them spiritually dead. Now, a lot of the religious saw them as good prospects or probably converts. But the Lord knew their heart. He's the only one that can know a heart. And he could walk into a group of people, and he could see his, and he could see those that were not his. He could see those that were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He had their, uh, the ability of seeing them and knowing them. He knew exactly who he was going to go to the cross for, and he could see them. But he could also see that 
the bulk, the majority, were dead in trespasses and sin. They were walking dead men. Well, here we read about, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seateth in the seat of the scornful. There's only one that has ever walked this earth that could fulfill those requirements. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. No, the Lord had the ability of doing that even at night. <laughs> I don't. And he goes on to say, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. What does it tell us about us as human beings? Our leaves are constantly withering. We're like the leaf. We're like the grass. It comes forth for a moment and then dies. This one, this one, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." Now, this is a statement about true righteousness. This is a statement about the Lord. This is a poetic look at the life and conduct of a righteous person. And we find in the scriptures that we have no righteousness of our own. We are in such desperate need of that robe of righteousness. We are unclean before the Lord. We are naked before the Lord. And we are desperately in need of that robe of righteousness. You know, it's not like going to Fred Meyer and buying clothes, though. We don't go in there and just go through the rack and decide, well, I think I'll take this one. This robe is a gift of grace, and it is not part of our choice. It is a gift of grace. We find out that even as the Lord said, that he looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did seek after him, and the commentary on that statement is the Lord said, he found none. And then we read, turn with me if you would to the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, we find these wonderful words that mention to us, where is our righteousness then? If I can't go buy it, if I cannot make it, what can I do to have this righteousness? In the book of Jeremiah chapter 23, <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6. These words, And in his days Judah shall be saved. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. Now these words are a metaphor for the church. That's what the importance here. It goes on, And this is the name whereby he shall be called. The Lord our righteousness. Now the translators did us a wonderful favor there. Did you notice that? That's in about twice the size of type, but it's all in caps. That's a wonderful statement that was made here with regard to the Lord our righteousness. It's pointed out for us. He is the Lord our righteousness. Since the Lord Jesus is the only righteousness of his people, either I am righteous in him or I'm not righteous. That's the, that's the alternatives. We have no in-between place. And so as we follow this theme out, we find that the Lord causes us to remember 
that he is all our righteousness. There's no other anywhere else. If you'd turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Now in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. Now this is speaking about those same robes that we read over there in the book of Numbers about. These are those clothes that they have these ribnets of blue at the bottom. Now see what happens if we only look at those from a physical standpoint. If we only see that these things are physical and not spiritual. Because these that we read about in the book of Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 7 are only looking at these things from a physical standpoint. They think because they have these riblets down at the bottom of their garments that they are accepted before the Lord. And yet we find out that those are only remembrances of where our righteousness truly is. It is in the Lord. That is our only righteousness. He is the only one that ever walked the face of this earth that had a nature that did not and could not sin. The rest of us are born into sin. It's our part. We have inherited it from Adam. But God, in his great love for his people, wherewith he loved us before the foundation of the world, he took things into his hands, knowing full well that we couldn't do it for ourselves. And if we did it for ourselves, it would be so faulty. All right, read with me here in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, and verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitudes, and to the multitude and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments." And love the uppermost parts of the rooms of the feast and the chief seats of the synagogues and greetings in the markets to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. Did you notice that there in verse 5? They all, but all their works, they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the garments. You see, I've got all these blue ribbons down here, folks, and pay attention. Pay attention. And they do it to be seen of men. Now, I've practiced that, have you? In religion, we're taught to be seen of men. Show everybody. Well, once the Lord saves us, we find out, my goodness, things are worse than I thought, (laughs) than I could ever imagine. And that my righteousness is, as we read in the Old Testament, my righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. There's not one quality about them that God has any interest in. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah 61, and we find in this passage of Scripture what those Pharisees had missed. They were very religious. We meet them all the time. In fact, 
I had a preacher tell me one time, every believer is a recovering Pharisee. (laughs) We had that in our nature. We've been prone to it for so long. And it takes the grace of God for us to have that put down, to to bring it into subjection, to to put his arms around us. It's like uh, going into a store with our children. Sometimes we just have to pick them up and carry them. We restrain them. That's thankful to God he does that for us. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and there in verse 10. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in Jehovah the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Here in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels, he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, and hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now that's his righteousness. How do we get that righteousness? How do we get the Lord's righteousness? We're in so desperate need of it. And yet we can't find it. We don't even know what it looks like by nature. We don't know how to appropriate it. We're not given the mind to look in the right place. We are given a mind that is in Adam. And he didn't look for the Lord in the right place. He went and hid himself in the garden. He didn't want to meet up with him. He had no interest in him whatsoever after he fell. It was God that had an interest in Adam. Well, turn with me over to the book of Matthew chapter 22. This is what happens when people try to come in without that robe. The marriage supper here, uh, Matthew chapter 22. And beginning with verse 8 of that. The wedding is ready. You know, in Eastern culture, when you went to a wedding, you were given a garment. You didn't have to, you didn't go out and buy it. Boy, I remember when I got married, I was encouraged to get a, a, a tuxedo. And I said, I'm wearing the same suit I graduated in. I didn't want to pay that money. And here in Eastern culture, if you were invited to a wedding, you were met at the door and you were given a garment to come into the wedding. That meant you fulfilled the, the invitation. You're given this. Well, notice here, then saith his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which are bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as were found, both bad and good, and the wedding were furnished with guests. Now we have someone coming in who knows all. The rest of the people hadn't noticed the problem. 
The rest of the people didn't go suggest that the problem be taken care of. They were ignorant of the problem, but there is one that knows. And this is the king. The king came in to see the guests. How are you doing? It's so glad you came to the wedding feast. I'm so glad I've invited you and here you are. You're both bad and good. (laughs) He said there, he saw someone stood out. He saw someone in there that would not, by presumptuousness, would not accept the garment that was there for his taking. He's been invited. If he's been invited, there's a garment for him. Well, I've got my own. I'll take care of it myself. And he says the king saw him. A man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And notice his reply. He was speechless. He's standing in the presence of authority. He's standing in the presence of the king. And he is speechless. He had no more excuses. He had tried that with everybody else. He tried that with the person out at the door. But no excuses are going to satisfy the king because he's the one that could identify him not having a proper garment. And it goes on to tell us here, Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now that's the whole group on the left-hand side at that great day. They do not have the proper garment, and that is the robe of righteousness. A proper garment is absolutely essential for those invited to the wonderful celebration. Without it, the king will immediately spot the hypocrisy and the presumptuousness by being identified as not having a wedding garment. A robe of righteousness. The one that gives the garment is God. This garment is Christ's imputed righteousness to us. We have none of our own. We have no capability of ever acquiring it for ourselves. But there is one whose business it is to give his righteousness to everyone that he is going to lay down his life a ransom for. Now righteousness, the the position before God that you have no sin before him. It's unimaginable that anybody could ever reach that position that God would not hold us accountable for our sin. But everyone that God had in his son ever died for, they are not accountable for their sin in the sense it will be, has been, and will forever be paid for By him who has all righteousness. Now this robe that he gives. This robe is a robe that he gives. It is is not something we put on. Remember Adam and Eve over there? They didn't participate in the, the acquiring of it. They didn't participate in the putting on of it. They only had it to wear and it was acceptable unto God. Except... Jesus told a group of people one time, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can I get better than they are? Because they were professionals at it. Only because of His righteousness. Now, it's imputed to us. It is imputed righteousness. Christ imputes His righteousness to us. He gives us His standing before the Father. His perfection before the Father. That's no wonder He is able to say that as we stand before Him, there will not be spot or wrinkle. God will not see any spot or wrinkle in all of His children. Because it is the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us, imputed to us, put to our account. It is not our righteousness because only after we're born again do we ever recognize the fact that our righteousness will not avail. It is not good. It is self-righteousness. It is unrighteousness. It is righteousness which speaks of filthy rags. Turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. What a blessed place that a person can find themselves in by revelation of Jesus Christ. David wrote about it. It's brought up here by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Even as David also describeth. Now it took a lot of describing. The Psalms are filled with it. David's writings are filled with it. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Blessed is the person. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the child that God will impute righteousness. You know what that means? Sin has been taken care of. He paid for sin on the cross. It's taken care of completely. It's the only way that the Lord can impute righteousness to us is that He has paid for our sin. Turn with me just a little further there in the book of Romans to Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. As we think about this, this is a remembrance of who your righteousness is. When you put it on, when you take this, this, this uh, robe off, when you look at those ribbons at the bottom of blue, remember who your righteousness is. Just as you take the communion service, this do in remembrance of me. It's not for your benefit, it's a remembrancer of me. As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember me till I come. That is what Christ said. All right, here in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 18, we read these words. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, the free, the one, the free gift came upon, excuse me, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Who did Adam represent? Every man, woman, boy, and girl ever born into this world. Who did Christ represent? The church. 
He represented his elect. He represented his people. He represented those he had written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. He represented them. And his representation is so good that he can give us his righteousness, impute it to us, put it to our account. We can walk around in a robe of righteousness. It's not seen, but it's known because of faith. By the offense of one. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Would you read that with me? How wonderful it is to read through here. As the commonality of righteousness of Christ is brought up over and over and over and over in the scriptures. And it is by his righteousness alone that we can stand before God. Not our righteousness which is as the works of the law. Here in the book of 1 uh, yeah, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It speaks so much about what the Lord is to his church. And this is just one passage of scripture, but it is so it condenses so much here. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, appropriated to us, given to us. The, there's four things mis- mentioned here. How all-encompassing is the Lord's benefits to his people. Nothing is left out. Everything is covered by his blood and his righteousness. We have nothing to do. We are to rest from our works. Religion calls on us to work. Christ calls on us to rest. Rest in what? Who of God has made unto us wisdom? The Lord is our wisdom. You know what that means? We're able to see Christ in the scriptures only by revelation. We'll never appropriate it on our own. And then it goes on to say, and righteousness. He's made unto us our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification. Thanks be unto God, we're not getting, you know, religion teaches us we're going to get better and better and better. On our own. It has been termed progressive sanctification. You know, I'd rather have all at once sanctification. That's what the Lord gives His people, is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He redeems His people from their sins. He is their Redeemer. This is so outstanding for the church. He, for He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to Him. Placed on Him. And He poured out His very life on behalf of His people. On the behalf of those that He intended to save. In the book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Would you turn there with me? One of the identification marks that was given here in Acts chapter 7 in verse 52 in Stephen's great message. You know, you know who one, one person that we know was present at this whole preaching service? His name was Paul, Saul of Tarsus. You know, he wasn't there to hear this, but he got to hear it. 
I'm so thankful that God puts His people where He intends for them to be so they can hear something. He puts Saul of Tarsus right here. Now he's consenting to the death of this man, but this man has something to say. He knows something about God, and he's going to share it. And he does. Now in verse 52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Who's that? That's the Lord. And this word just here could be translated righteous one. Which of the prophets have you not slain? And all they did, they showed before of the coming of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus, of whom... Ye have by been now the betrayers and murderers of. You've murdered the righteous one. Well, we know it was all by divine appointment that God intended that to happen that way, that his son would lay down his life, a ransom for many, and that this would be done. And so, as is written in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 6 again, his name, Lord our righteousness. Now, many of those Jews felt it was most important to have the most ribbons at the bottom of their clothes. The bluest ribbons. The longest ribbons. The most spectacular display of their ribbons. And they did it to be seen of men. And the Lord had much to say about that. Now, those who knew something knew that this was only a remembrancer. It is only to remind me. And you know, when I wake up in the morning and that thought goes through my head that should never have gone through my head, you know what that is? It's a remembrancer for me who is my righteousness. It is a remembrance to me that I have only righteousness in Christ and that righteousness has been imputed to my account. And I can only stand before the Lord clean and righteous because He is righteous. I have none of my own. I attest to the fact that my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but His righteousness is right, pure, because He is, and He never was otherwise. The Lord, our righteousness. And to the church, He is our righteousness, our right standing. It's been imputed to us, given to us, placed to our account. And the thing we find out about it is, I never participated in it. The Lord even had to raise my hands so that it could be placed upon me. I had no strength to even do that. It is the Lord's righteousness imputed to us. We, well, let's just turn in closing over to Romans chapter 10 again. Romans chapter 10. And there in verse 3, Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Paul writing about the Jews, those who were in the marketplace and they got the longest blue ribbons, they got the most blue ribbons, they have all of that stuff around it. They even had to enlarge their robes so they could get it all on there. They had to walk around and make sure the people got out of the way. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
You know what that means? They never called the Lord, Lord. They never bowed. They had their own righteousness, and that was enough. Well, God keep us from putting ribbons on our pants and our dresses, because that's not what it was intended. But Lord, keep us remembering that you are your church's righteousness. Every bit of our righteousness belongs to somebody else given to us. Lord willing, next Sunday we plan on bringing a message then and the following Sunday on the incarnation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And the 25th, we plan on having 11 o'clock service only. All right.